The sea is still the sea, the beach is still the beach. No matter the changes sweeping the boulevard, no matter the new money whitewashing old miseries, no matter the ringing changes in his own life, the water is still the water, embracing, disinterested, constant. He skips through the foaming ankle-high wavelets, past the stamping toddlers, past the backpackers skimming a ball to each other in the shallows, past the kids on their first foam boards, wading deeper, pushing through larger waves, feeling the water surge around him. He pushes further, diving under a clear green wall as it rises before him, eyes open, touches the bottom with his hand as the wave licks his feet. Surfacing, he puts in some freestyle strokes, his shoulders welcoming the well-remembered sensation, swimming further out, beyond the breaking waves, out the back. He swings upright, treading water, his feet no longer able to touch the bottom, feeling the gentle pull and push of the sea, the ocean's mighty breath. He inhales deeply, dives down, eyes open, through the sun-straddled translucence. Down he goes into colder water, touches the sandy bottom again with satisfaction, rises again, not kicking, but letting his buoyancy float him back to the surface, towards the spearing shafts of gold. The water feels so good, so honest, washing away the residue of the police cell, lifting the lingering taint of death scrubbing the recent past from his paws. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading Magazine is a monthly publication dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au Chris, we're here to talk about your new book, Silver, but you're fresh off the plane from the UK, in fact, after winning the 2019 British Crime Writers Association John Creasy Dagger Award for New Blood for your previous book, Scrublands. How does a seasoned journalist like yourself sit with the title New Blood? <laughs> this is one of the great things about being a, a writer. I'm in my late 50s and suddenly I'm, I'm a new emerging talent. Maybe there's no other profession where you could be new and emerging at my age. I've found with crime writers it's very, very collegiate. It certainly is here in Australia. Since the publication of Scrublands, I've been able to meet quite a few Australian crime writers at, uh, at festivals and in conversation, that sort of thing. And I found it very much the same in the UK. It's a very supportive collegiate world, great sense of humour, not overly competitive the egos aren't too big and they're not too fragile so no it's a, it's a good mix and I I was only there for a very short time um, but I previously I went over to the UK in July I was invited to a, a big crime festival there where I met many authors and people involved with, with crime writing there and uh, they're a fantastic bunch. When I read your books there's a sort of a real exuberance to the writing and you obviously have a, an affection for the landscape where does that come from where does that energy come from for you? Yeah, I've always liked the Australian landscape. I've always liked the bush and the coast. So I grew up in Canberra, the bush capital, 
um, you know, walking around in the bushland there, uh, bushwalking. Uh, did my first degree up at Bathurst and lived out in the country there. Always loved the south coast. So, I, and I think I used to travel a, a lot overseas. And many Australians who do that um, know the experience of whenever you return to Australia, the the uh, landscape, the atmosphere, the air, the light, it's very different and you, you grow to love it very much. Does the place and the culture dictate the kind of crime that might arise in your mind? All writers are different, of course, and, and, the, and crime writing covers an enormous kind of spectrum of styles. But for me, at least so far, setting has been very important for my books because it adds an atmosphere to the books, but it also helps explain the motivation of many of the characters there. So in Scrublands, the town, Riversend, is an irrigation town that's run out of water and as a consequence of that are suffering enormous financial hardship. So that puts a lot of strain on the people in the town and explains why they may be tempted to do things that they might not otherwise do. In Silver, the setting is different. It's a town, again a fictional town, Port Silver, but it's being touted as the next big thing, the next Bar and Bay or the next Nursa. And there's people who, who believe there's a real estate boom coming and want to get in on the ground floor. So again, it explains the motivation of the characters, but it also provides a kind of an atmospheric background to the book. Now, I, I remember hearing the great uh, English crime writer Anne Cleves, author of the Shetland books and uh, the Vera Stanhope books, and she was saying that she thought that setting and character are actually more important for crime books, at least her crime books, than the actual plot, um, which is an interesting perspective, but I think there's some truth in that. There's some pretty funky names in both books. In fact, they're, they're connected, aren't they? There's mm. uh, names like, well, the first one, Mandalay Blonde. She sounds exotic. Doug Thunkleton. He even sounds like a journalist. <laughs> Harold. Harold Drake with two R's. Jasper Spate and even Martin Scarsden, is he scarred? Mm. Uh, where do you dream up these names? So, <laughs> Scrublands um, has been very successful, but I didn't know that when I was writing it. I was writing it in my spare time, hoping that it would be published, and that was about it. And so I was having a bit of fun with it. So, and having a bit of fun with the names. And after it was published I and, and was meeting with some success, I was kind of cringing, thinking, oh, God, I, I kind of over-egged that particular pudding. The names are a bit outlandish. And, you know, if I had my time again, maybe I would have dialed it back a bit. Until one night I was at an event and, and a woman came up and she said, oh, I really, really love the names in your book. I said, oh, that's nice. And she said, no, um, your plots are quite complicated. And this is true, both in Scrublands and Silver, there's not one plot. There's maybe four or five plots, all intertwined. And she said, um, your plots are quite complex, but because the names are so distinctive, I don't have to go back and reread and work out who's who. And I thought, you know what? She's right. Because I read books, and particularly, you know, if there's a character that hasn't been mentioned for, say, 100 pages or something... And they're all very sort of Tom, Dick, Harry sort of Anglo names. You get confused. So in retrospect, 
although it kind of happened by accident, me more or less just playing around and amusing myself, I actually think in the end it's a, a good thing that you know, I kind of fluked it. So it's a happy accident, I guess. Yeah, a happy accident, exactly. Uh, Chris, I'm not going to ask if Martin Skarsden is the central character in Silver is you from a parallel universe, but how does the work and also the life of a journalist feed into your fiction writing? It helped with the character of Martin. He's he's not me. I mean, he's uh, he's suffering from post-traumatic stress, but also he's a bit of an emotional cripple. And through Scrublands and particularly in Silver, we learn out we learn why he's such a damaged character because Silver goes into the traumatic events of his youth. But um, having been a journalist helps inform his character and it gives me the knowledge of how the media actually works. Um, And I find this kind of interesting because there are several, a number of very successful crime writers who are journalists. Michael Rowbotham was a journalist his primary protagonist as a psychologist. Jane Harper was a journalist. Peter Temple was a journalist. And yet none of them really used journalists as a protagonist. And actually, a journalist makes a really good protagonist for a crime book because a journalist has a licence to put their nose in where it's not wanted. Um, so the, the, the character, having been a journalist, I think it helps me know how Martin may behave in certain circumstances. I suppose it also helps out smooth the connections between the local police, the federal police, the law, all those bodies that interact to make the novel come together. Yeah, although, see, Michael Connolly was a police reporter in in Los Angeles, okay, for the LA Times, so he was reporting on that stuff. I've never been a crime reporter. You know, I did courts a little bit when I was a cadet, as you get revolved through, but no, my career was one, you know, doing foreign affairs type thing and travelling overseas and the rest of the time I was in the press gallery in Canberra doing politics so it's that's I probably have some knowledge of the institutional you know divisions between state and federal all that sort of thing but not the up close and nasty police stuff nevertheless it's very convincing so you must have gleaned something from the experience oh sometimes imagination's a wonderful thing people often assume that because you describe something, either you've experienced it yourself, number one, or two, maybe you've just spent ages and ages really thoroughly researching it. But often it's just, you just imagine what it might be like. And the trick there is to have the feel of authenticity. I guess that's what every crime writer is chasing, really, is that authenticity in Uh, setting and characters and plot. Yeah, I think that's right. But not just crime writers, a lot of writers, and I often think of um, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, okay? It's a totally imagined world. But if you're reading those books, um, well, I know when I was about 20, I read them. It just seemed so you know, authentic. You are in that world, but it's an imaginary world, right? So I think any writer who's setting a story set in a location is imagining that world. Now, my, my books are set in fictional towns, but in real landscapes but think of all the books that you've read say set in New York and many of them are vastly different because the writer has kind of imagined a certain type of New York so in a sense real or unreal it comes down to the the imagination but also that sense of authenticity and a kind of consistency of how the story is depicted
Martin steps off the deck, looking up the hill, away from the beach, towards the car park. The land behind rises steadily. It takes little imagination to see the topography through the eyes of a property developer. The natural rise of the land is perfectly suited to low-rise buildings in tiers up the hill, all overlooking the beach, all with a magical view up the coast, all protected from flood by the elevation. The amphitheatre is private and secluded, a hippie haven ripe for exploitation. He can see the development clearly, but for the life of him, he can't see the connection to Jasper Spate's death. Perhaps the land is worth killing for, but what did his old friend know? What had he learnt that could have incited murder? Martin stares out across the perfect scenery and sees no answers. The book Silver, is it a cautionary tale for Australians or, or do you write purely for people's pleasure? I try and write a good book. Okay, so I'm not just setting out to write something for people's pleasure. Um, I certainly hope that that's what it delivers, that people are pleased with it. Um, if people want to read more into the books, that's good, and that's up to them. And different people will pick up different things. I, I say there's, there's kind of two creative acts going on here. There's a bit that I do as a writer, and other writers do. But there's also the readers. Everyone who reads a book is creating in their own minds the world, the setting, the characters. And so no one actually reads the same book because it's filtered through your own experience and your own prejudice and your likes and your dislikes. But I do want people to enjoy the books, yeah. Your main character, Martin Scarston, through the process of the book, undergoes a kind of transformation. Uh, his character, his outlook on life is, well irrevocably changed through the the actions and, and also the characters he interacts with. Will we hear more about Martin Skarsden in the future? And if so, what kind of person will he be? Um, you bring up a good point. When I was writing Scrublands, I'd set off in my part-time to, to write a crime book. And I thought the most important thing was having a cracking plot. But, you know, then as I got into it, like the setting, the nuanced characters and whatever. And by the time I finished the book, one thing that gave me a great deal of satisfaction was the evolution in Martin's uh, character, his own sort of personal emotional journey, to the point that the Martin scars at the end of the book is a different man than Martin at the start of the book. And that... I like that about the book. And so when I started writing Silver, I wanted to do that again. And so Silver is very much, there's a crime story there, or multiple crime stories. But once again, there's an emotional journey for Martin. And in Silver, it's in some ways it's more explicit because he's going back to his old hometown and he's having to confront or come to terms with traumatic events that befell him and his family when he was a child. And so, once again, there is this emotional journey going on. This makes me think that there's a limit to the number of books that I can do with Martin and Manley because if people are kind of expecting that kind of content, there's only so much you can mine there. If you have a very sort of impersonal type protagonist, a um, 
you know, a Poirot or a Miss Marple. You, you, can, you can write dozens and dozens Even of books. Even a Harry Bosch or a René Ballard, I think. They, yeah, they have d- a certain impersonal, impersonal quality to them. They, well, they certainly have a, have a personal character to them, but it doesn't change so much. Um, so I'm starting to work on, on another book, and this one will have much more of Mandalay in it, or Mandy, um, and her emotional sort of voyage, if you like, her emotional journey. But you're right, I think it's an important aspect to the books, um, but also I think it limits to some degree how many books I can do. Chris, congratulations once again on the British Crime Writers Association Award for New Blood, and congratulations on a great new book. Thanks for joining me on the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Oh, thanks for having me on, Greg. I've been talking to Chris Hammer about his new book, Silver. It's published by Allen and Unwin and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au and all good bookstores. My name's Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening. <laughs>